Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. So I could do you know yoga on the beach and that's just something that I really need for my soul and actually my entrepreneurial journey. And it's made me a better leader and a better person and able to manage the stress and all of that. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Hi, this is Joseph Ogin. And I'm a product manager. I built platforms used by AOL, Coca-Cola, and National Geographic. I love listening to We Are LA Tech because Esprit and her team really make it easy for us to understand the LA Tech community and really break down how companies and users can utilize this new emerging technologies to build businesses and connect with their communities. You can follow me online at josephhogin.com. That's Joseph Hogin, H-O-L-G-U-I-N.com. Welcome back to We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. Uh, I'm Dave Whalen, the CEO of Bioscience LA. Been guest hosting, uh, supporting Esprit Devora, and we are LA Tech for a little while, and really thrilled because, as I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes, I've been on We Are LA Tech multiple times over the past few years. Uh, excited to have Rachel McCrary today, who has also been on We Are LA Tech before, and then this is the first time that she and I are together on this, so it'll be kind of a fun little reunion reconnection. So, Rachel, welcome. So excited to have you. Thanks so much, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So uh, I know you've uh, you've told a bit of your story to Esprit in the past, but uh, would love just to just to kick things off with uh, you know, give me a little sense of of who you are, and your background, and and would love to hear you know you're you're doing a lot of work in the 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 health health tech and healthcare space right now, but you have a whole life before that that is some really interesting. Uh, consumer stuff and tech stuff. And so maybe just take us a little bit back to kind of how you got here before you dive into Gather. Yeah, I'm Rachel McCrary. I'm the founder of Gather Labs. Gather Labs is a modernized diagnostic experience focused on same-day results for any lab, uh, which improves patient care. I've been an entrepreneur since, uh, as my mother would say, I came out that way. (laughs) I started actually um, little, little things in high school. Um, my cousin was in a band and I didn't like the t-shirt. So I hand screen printed t-shirts and sold them at the venue and actually generated more revenue than the band. And I wasn't even old enough to, to, to get into the bar. Um, I also made skirts and, and mini dresses uh, in high school because I'm from North Carolina and I didn't really like the options in the stores. Uh, I was, a, I was a model and really picky about, about clothing. So I made my own. And then people asked me, 
where I got it. I said I made it and then they offered to buy them. So <laughs> I was an entrepreneur with my own um, mini skirt and mini dress line in, in high school. I majored in fashion design in college at FIT, at FIDM in San Francisco. And then I did another year at FIT in New York for laundry and corsetry design. I am a laundry expert. Uh, my first job in New York was at Victoria's Secret in the design office as an assistant. Uh, and my my last uh, time in New York, I built a company. Um, oh, I built three different laundry startups. Uh, one of them still exists. It's called RX Bra. It's a medically effective bra that's also cute and comfortable. And then I built a shapewear company called called Jewel Toned, uh, which most people will know me for that. And then I uh, a company called Charmed, which was a bra company for for teens that that was more appropriate, more sophisticated than Victoria's Secret Pink, but uh, but still appropriate for for teens. Um, yeah. <clears throat> wow. That's not, by the way, my, my only connection to all of that is uh, when I used to spend a lot of time in, in New York launching New York Genome Center, our temporary offices were a few blocks north of Victoria's Secret. So I used to walk past Victoria's Secret, you know, every, every day that I was in New York. But uh, that's that's my that's the extent of the connection there. But uh, that's awesome, though, that you kind of built all of these businesses. And it really sounds like, you know, thinking back to. The, the band shirts, definitely thinking back to the clothes you were making. You were an entrepreneur who very much is focused on solving problems that you're seeing, you're experiencing, or that you've got a connection to. So kind of creating better products for teens because uh, the big companies don't necessarily think that way. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess, um, you know, I've thought about this a lot uh, and... Just, um, you know, capitalism as a whole, the New York Stock Exchange and a lot of the companies that feed into it and that makes this country a superpower. And then, you know, startups and, and, you know, what, what finance experts tell me anyway, far, far be it for me from doing that. My only finance experience, I was the chief operations officer for a decentralized uh, cryptocurrency exchange called Button Wallet. But, um, you know, just as far as like bird's eye view, if what makes the United States, you know, a, a, one of the financial superpowers, uh, what I've heard, not an expert, uh, is, um, you know, <laughs> I think Wall we're still Street, a superpower, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wall Street, uh, in New York, the tech industry in Silicon Valley and the entertainment industry in LA. And that's sort of, you know, what, what feeds a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the economy. Um, you know, and, and how interesting that is. If you look at, if you look at like the New York Stock Exchange and like companies that are, you know, corporate machines that really, you know, you know, sort of like just shareholders and, and consumers, you know, feed into that. And then that, that's what, you know, generates that the stock price. And then such the opposite of the dreamers in Silicon Valley, right? I'm one of those dreamers, like through and through, I'm one of those entrepreneurs. It's like, I feel like something has to come out of me or, or my soul's going to die. Like I, the last time I tried to have a corporate job, I just felt like I was going to itch out of myself. Like I was just crawling out of my skin and my gut was just screaming, you're in the wrong place. No, run. <laughs> Even though they were perfectly lovely. Um, and it's a great job, you know, it's just, it's just not for me. Um, but you know, it's, it's those dreamers that have that spark inside that are willing to, to be so brave and to go into the scary thing, to put it out into the world, which is very vulnerable and very scary. And typically, you know, we can, we can all, you know, do, do much better salary wise at, at, a, at a corporate job, um, you know, to the, you know, close to, to close to a million a year, because you typically have so many skill sets, everyone's, you know, like offering you crazy, amazing jobs that by normal standards are, you know, people would, would kill for them. And they think everyone thinks you're crazy for like giving that up to, to make, you know, 
possibly nothing just to pay pay your bills minimum and have maybe even something on the side in the beginning for for a maybe. And you only do that if you feel like you you have to because it's coming out of you like an artist or a musician or a painter, right? But the point is that you know Silicon Valley being part of the economies, those dreamers somehow create this thing that every now and then I think they call them unicorns turn into that thing that Wall Street thing, right? And how how cool is that? And and like that's just so interesting to me. And I've thought about it as an entrepreneur of like you know what point does it sort of turn into that and am i and i'm such a like dreamer early early mid early stage expert to, to mid-size like i can build anything like a paperclip right so and stress a dollar and, and and inspire to hire and and feed everyone on the dream and like live it myself and it really works <laughs> um you know and it grows and it grows because of that energy and it's that infectious energy that feeds you and everyone else that makes it grow that doesn't work once you go from, from mid-size to leader, right? And how, how does that, you know, who's, who's hopefully somebody out there can raise their hand and let me know, um, <laughs> you know, to, to, to help, help do that. And someone, I think I met someone at, at an event that was telling me they're an expert at just that going in and get, helping you from that mid-stage to large stage. And, you know, these people come in and all these little dreamers at the desk that have been there since the beginning and people come in and they're like, um, you know, change this paint color, cut this budget, move this over here. Like, and they're just like, whoa, what? Like we have like whiplash. And, um, you know, and he says that he, uh, he, he said that he sort of like smooths that transition. I'm sure there are companies that do that. But yeah, those are two different types of people, but both need to exist, right? In order, in order, like the inception of it and, and the growth of it, they both need to exist for the success, no? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But so it's you, and you've definitely done lots of things on that that first that first stage. Um, and it, you know, I, I sense I sense that the passion and sort of getting that idea, that creative spark, and solving a problem and turning it into something. Um, and you definitely, you know, you you did start off in this in the the fashion world, but your some of your fashion projects started to touch on the the medical world uh you know kind of health benefits of uh you know health benefits of of apparel and things like that was that your i mean is, is that what drew you into healthcare or sort of uh you know because fast forward now you're you're running a healthcare business what got you into uh the world of healthcare yeah so a couple of my fashion companies were acquired early our expra uh, we still own it we never raise capital so we can just own that up we're on that on the side as we see fit and that's just how we chose to operate that because it's a single product company um it is a medical effective bra that has far infrared yarn like an infrared sauna uh it increases blood flow and oxygenation to improve breast health we infuse the, the ceramic with infrared, break it up into a powder, permanently bond it to the yarn, sell it to plastic surgeons and, and anyone who's looking to improve breast health and, and on e-commerce. Um, that company does really well. It's really easy to run. Uh, we don't really have to, have to do much anymore because it just kind of like runs itself. So we decided to just keep it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic where some of the plastic surgeons that we've been selling to for years uh, knew that I was an entrepreneur that had lived in Asia and they knew that people in Asia were getting these PPE and COVID tests. So they, they asked me, um, you know, if I could help them get PPE and COVID tests at the beginning of, you know, it's like February of 2020. You have to remember February, March, it was that crazy time. We knew uh, nothing yes. about what was going on. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were asking fashion designers for help because that's how desperate everyone was. It was, you know, long story short, made, made, made a partner at a, at a biotech company, 
um, because I was helping them with their, with their writing, like they're checking their, their English and grammar for their, for their EUAs. Um, for my friend's biotech company in Hong Kong, you know, of course they just sent me, I had a medical import license because of the bra. It's a class one medical device. So we imported PPE and COVID tests and, um, really just a small quantity. We weren't looking to make money. We thought that this whole thing would be over really, really fast. We weren't looking to profit. And so my friend just sent them to me and I sent, I gave them to, to the surgeons. I just handed them over. I didn't think it was a big deal. And then, you know, two weeks later, I was getting probably 50 calls a day. Are you the fashion designer that has the COVID stuff? You know, where did you get my number? It just went viral. Like, and as someone who's tried to make things go viral, like that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, I was getting calls morning, noon and night, even Saturday and Sunday night. Um, my boyfriend and I would be in bed and I would just get these calls from like Australia and just the weirdest things, you know, the military and, and, you know, I was like, you, you must have the wrong person. I'm a bra designer, you know? You must have the wrong racial. No, no. And, you know, and I was speaking with heads of large hospitals and companies and, you know, it just, you know, you must be talking and looking for the, somebody else. No, we're desperate. <laughs> like I, like in that movie Argo, they say, oh, this is the best bad idea we have. I felt like that was the vibe, right? <laughs> um, so, um, I was like, okay, if I can add a value. So, you know, we were, we were helping people get PPE and COVID tests for, for a couple of months and we were not, um, you know, upcharging anything. Again, I thought like, I, I'm stuck in the house. We're, we're on lockdown. Um, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. If I can be helpful, fine. Use my thing and people I know. Um, and then it got to be where we were, my, me and my bra team were working like 90 hours a week on, on this. And so we started, um, you know, we called, we started working with the, with the manufacturers directly for PPE and COVID tests. At that time, I had submitted, um, like my friends, um, 4D and EUA and became the sole distributor for his products because he had never sold them in the U.S. and they wanted them. So, you know, fast forward a few months later, I was an expert in testing for, for SARS-CoV-2 and was running clinical trials and got a crash course in molecular virology, the entire COVID vaccine landscape, all the testing landscape, um, was a semi-finalist for the X Prize for one of the COVID tests that we built. Strangely, uh, being a manufacturer for, for clothing in Asia, um, it's weirdly not that much different to make tests. I was just like, okay, take a butter knife, crack it open. Where do we get all this stuff? Okay, teach me. So they taught me on Zoom, you know, spraying the foam, the guillotine cutters before antigen tests existed. So we took like the pregnancy test manufacturing and then got antibodies from somewhere, source antibodies, and then match to, so they would, you know, match the spike protein and the colloidal spray with the political and then cut in the guillotine. And like, it just, I was like, okay, like, it's not that hard. It's just like making bras kind of, you know, it's actually easier. There's less components, you know, uh, it's not as weird as it sounds. I was actually raised by a scientist. My grandmother, uh, you know, mostly raised me and she was this huge, brilliant scientist in North Carolina. She was the first woman to get a PhD in a scientific field in the state of North Carolina in the fifties as a single mother. So, you know, I grew up sort of in her home and we had a lab at home and then at the university at UNCW um, in her lab. Uh, she is a legend. There are things named after her in North Carolina and I'm known as Miss Dr. McCrary's granddaughter. So it's actually not that weird. Like when you grow up with something for, for 20 years, you know, it's somewhere in there somewhere, right? Even, um, <clears throat> yeah. So anything that's good about me, it's, it's because of her, but, um, you know, they, they, some, some regulatory people showed up at my house and said, you know, how do you know how to do this? Can you show us your work on your computer? Sure. Go ahead. And I showed them, you know, and they were like, 
Miss McCrary, um, <laughs> this is a hard thing to do. Most people that do this have, have a couple PhDs in, in this. So if you have a natural knack for this, then you should stop making bras and start, uh, you know, getting into diagnostics because we need your help. That's okay. So, <laughs> so I've been doing it <laughs> ever since. At what point does that sort of become a formal company? So you're, cause you were doing this, as you said, and we all, uh, you know, my, my first day as CEO of Bioscience LA was Monday, March 16th, 2020. So uh, I know you and I talked, you know, soon after that. And like, we were both kind of, you know, just helping, helping solve, you know, solve these problems that seemed like they would go away. Right. So at some point you're working on something because it has to be done. And then you realize there's a real business there. For the genes print test, we were running clinical trials and, and looking for research ROs and then clinical sites and then and then work. I was also we were also um, we also had a nucleic acid collector swab that uh, that Dr. Tan made that that's patented that that we were importing and distributing. And then people would ask us, where do we process this? So I would connect them with labs, and then so I got to see how there was a lack of customer service. Like I was, they kind of became my customer and then I was overseeing that, but that's not really what I wanted to do. I'm not like a medical salesperson who was going to manage your account. I was just trying to be helpful, you know? So um, then they would ask me all these things and I would say, you should ask the lab. I really, I really don't know. And, and then the lab just didn't have any customer support, no way to liaise with B2B, you know, clients or B2C. Um, no, no Google sheets and air tables and just basic tech tools. Um, the software was clunky um, and hard to use. And um, the people at the front desk never remembered who I was, even if we were bringing exorbitant amounts of, of tests in there. Um, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, they say that I should start working in this, in this arena, you know, what do I want to do? We were in the middle of making tons of vaccines and COVID tests and all this stuff. And I love, that was natural for me. I like, I like product development. But really, I just saw, I just looked around and telehealth and, you know, uh, everything that we, were, that we were creating to improve healthcare and make it like the Uber of that. No one was doing the lab. And, and what, I, what I realized was that with, you know, one, one, one medical and a lot of telehealth and um, even most urgent cares and um, doctor's offices and, and um, you know, I don't want to name it, but all those healthcare startups, none of them are the lab. Almost none of them. And some of them were even saying that they were. And then I would call as a customer, ask them or dive deeper. And they did not have a CLIA license and they were not allowed. So somebody's got to do that. So I was like, okay, let's do that. Let's disrupt that. Let's make that better. I'm now seeing this as a B2B customer or as a volunteer that this sucks. So, you know, for the, I'm sure there's other use cases where it's great, but for what we were using it for was not optimal. So there was room for improvement. So we were like, okay, let's just rebuild the labs from the top, from the, from the bottom up. So Gather Labs, Gather Labs was born. Got it. And uh, so I, mean, I love, I love the fact that so many people are coming to you and saying, yeah, you know, you usually you have a PhD to do this. Usually you've got experience and you're just like, well, we're doing it. And uh, you know, I think all of us as consumers have, have kind of dealt with the, you know, we, we've dealt with the lack of transparency, the lack of flexibility. I mean, like, you know, with, with lab testing and sort of, you know, we go to these, our, our doctors will send us to a, you know, a, a nondescript lab space in a nondescript office building to, you know, get a test gathered. And then you, you know, and then you, 
you know, go home and you get your test results from your doctor or things like that. And it's like, it takes time. It's a hassle. It looks like you were able to look at that and say, there's, there's kind of a better, friendlier way for consumers. It's also better and friendlier for, for physicians as well. Like who benefits from this kind of approach? Yeah. Um, so Gather Labs, Gather Labs looks like a spa um, and is very comfortable and beautiful. We don't feel like, you know, lab testing should be, should be this yucky process that you endure until it's over. Why? Like anything, it, it can be beautiful and, and nice, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you aim it to be. We have just acquiesced uh, as consumers to labs take a long time. That's just something that people think. One to 10 days on an average, uh, three to five to get a panel back in Los Angeles, uh, STIs, simple metabolics, things like that. Uh, I just, I've, I've tried everything myself just to, just to see as a consumer. I had one that took three weeks just for a blood panel to get back. Wow. And the whole uh, time you're waiting, I mean, you might, you know, you might be wondering, do I have something? I'm like, what's happening to me? And you have to basically wake up every day, not knowing, are you healthy or not? Right. And if you're getting, um, if you're, if you're checking your STIs or a UTI or your blood sugar or thyroid, uh, these things need to be turned around quickly because your medication needs to be, um, administered or prescribed, uh, and you know, whether it's to, to, you know, because of your levels or to prevent it from spreading to someone else, you know, I just find that unacceptable because we have the same instruments as, as larger publicly traded labs. We have the same instruments. Um, we actually have better instruments than some, some hospitals and, and some doctor's offices and urgent cares don't have anything. They just send it to us. So then you're adding a different thing and slowing it down. So we are truly vertical. Well, some of them say that we actually are. There is a doctor's office next door that is ours. It's not a clinic to be seen, um, as a patient, but if you need an order because you don't have insurance or a primary care physician, you can go there. Um, we have a front desk, uh, and then, uh, patient rooms and then, uh, the full high complexity lab and a medium complexity lab under one roof with the business offices. So we can all communicate with each other, the lab staff, the medical staff and the business staff all sit under one roof so that we can call, like someone can call the business staff and say, I need this test back. We do, we do things for, for hospitals pre-surgery. Um, they can call and say, I really need to know this person needs to know, and we'll, and we'll run over, we can literally walk over and check, you know, you have, um, you know, 27 minutes. I'll call you, you know, after the, the DLS verifies it, like I'll call, I'll call you right away. So like, you know, 30 minutes, I'll call you and then send you the, the paper. Um, so it's just that sort of fast customer service that, you know, wants the doctors, they don't even know that it can happen that way. Science, science has nothing to do. I'm not saying it's nothing to do with it, but, you know, edu- academically people that, go for science and go for medical. It's two totally different. They don't know how, how, how the machines work. Why would they? They've never, you know, they're on patient care. So, um, you know, when I tell them, oh, that, that instrument only takes like an hour so we can get it to, you know, and they're like, why do I usually wait three days? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just focused on what we're doing. So once they, once they, you know, sort of get that, they either are like, well, this improves my patient care, makes it easier for me. If they can prescribe faster, you know, if you have a UCI and it goes into your kidneys, like, you know, it's good to know which antibiotic you should take, you know, and, and getting it faster, you know, just as an example, that changes, that changes patient care. I actually had a friend die of a UTI that wasn't, that wasn't sort of medicated properly and fast enough because they make an assumption while they're waiting for the test and that's not necessarily the right thing. 
Um, yeah. Wow. So what, so you, so this, you know, again, this started out in COVID and obviously COVID testing was a piece of this, but uh, what is your mix of, if you can share kind of, what does your mix of tests look like? Or what are the, I guess, really what tests are available? If someone uh, is looking for a test, you know, can they get anything from gather or is there a, a menu, so to speak? We, um, yes, we, we have a molecular and neurological lab now, which is new. So we do um, anything on molecular would be, you know, like COVID, flu, flu A, flu B, RSV, UTIs, uh, so any bodily fluid that's not blood. Um, and then the serology instruments uh, do both panels and, and tests, uh, qualitative and quantitative. So that would be like metabolic panels, thyroid, uh, A1C, um, also uh, infectious diseases, uh, drug abuse, um, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite extensive. I think, I think by January we're adding, we're validating a lot of tests now. I think by January 15th, they tell me that we'll have 200 different tests or panels, and then we'll um, can continue adding and expanding as we, as we go on. Eventually we'd like to be into uh, radiology and sonograms as well. Wow. Wow. And right now is this, uh, is a, is a patient finding you and coming to you because they're looking for a test or is a physician sending a patient there because they know that it's a better, faster way to do it? Both. Uh, I think it's mostly word of mouth. We've never done any advertising um, other than uh, like four podcasts that are like these. We've never, um, you know, tried to market it. We, we actually don't even have, we have like a awning with says gather Labs. We've never even added a sign like all the other businesses in our thing. Um, so, you know, that just tells me as someone who's been an entrepreneur their whole life, you know, people like a neg on this, well, why do people need that? You know what? I don't know. The proof is in, you know, it's on 50,000 tests this year without doing any advertising. Yeah. Period. That's, so that that's awesome. Is that, is that, is that either physicians or, or individuals like want another option for, for, for a test? They would like it faster. Um, especially if you tell them it's the same price, they would like it, you know, faster and, and with it more ease, you could just walk in the door. Um, you don't have to have an appointment or you can, whatever your preference is. Um, you can wait and get a piece of paper or we can send it to you through our, through our portal afterwards. Um, you know, they, there's just, a, just whatever, just, just word of mouth. If you could get something and it's better and faster for the same price, like why wouldn't you? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's awesome. And I, I do think that the, that, you know, typically, my guess is people, you know, people don't talk about positive lab experiences. If you talk about a lab experience, it's a negative one, or you just don't talk about it. And so if, if someone, if someone, and I've, I've been, you know, I, I've been in your space, it's, it's beautiful. And like you said, it's not, it's not obvious what it is on the outside, but once you're on the inside, it is really friendly. It has that spa look, a retail look, kind of a, almost an Apple, you know, Apple store kind of, you know, really clean, you know, clean, welcoming feel. But like, if someone has an experience there, I totally can understand them. The next time they're talking to one of their friends and the friend says, I have to go get an XYZ test or something like that. I could see a person saying, have you heard of Gather Labs? You should check this out. It's like, it's such a great experience. And you will get people who are, you know, essentially referring their friends or, you know, people are coming in because they heard about it in a way where you hardly ever would have that happen in a lab. Yeah. We, we do, we do hear that when they come in, they say so-and-so told me about it. We've even had some of the nurses call from the physician's offices who, who say, you know, the patient came in and said, they never had a lab experience like that. They've never had one that's so pretty. 
and that you guys were so nice. Um, you know, and, and we all know how, how, how overworked nurses are for them to take the time to call. I was just so like, you know, almost like moved to tears. I was like, wow, nurses don't have time for anything. So, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty special. It just makes us want to do even better. We've actually expanded since, since you came in. So, so we're, we're growing and, you know, how can we, how can we just continue to make it even better, even better and bigger than, than we think. Um, my, my doctor, one of my doctors is Dr. Sadegi in Agora Hills and he has the most beautiful space and just gives the best, most loving care that you don't even know you're in a doctor's office. And it's just so special. He's been my doctor for 10 years. And, you know, the other day, like he sent me this nice message on my, on my birthday and um, that was like hand curated and not like some, you know, I got, a, I got a lot of spam for my doctors on my birthday that comes from the computer. But like, he just sent me this lovely thing, you know, it was like, wow, you know, his patients, he's like a six month waiting list and then takes the time to like, you know, send me this nice message and, um, you know, ask me if I, how, how I'm feeling, like, how are you? That's just something that, you know, that is like game changing instead of like, we have a thing at Gather Labs that when someone comes in and you're at the front desk, you don't go name, date of birth, insurance. Just like, hi, welcome to Gather Labs. How are you? You know, this is a human in front of you. You know, re- you know, just receiving that the other day, I was like, wow, how can we make, how can we, how can he inspire us to be even better leaders in this space and continue to, to improve it any, even, even more? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's awesome. And so right now you've got a, you know, single, single location that's growing, you know, what's, what's next? Is it, is it more services there? Is it more locations? Is it raising capital to support all of that? Like, where do you go from here? Yeah. Um, so, so we are raising, raising capital. Um, we were just invited to pitch to my combinator and, um, <laughs> at the, at the, um, the healthcare conference, um, where I ran into you, we met a lot of really synergetic investors, um, at different stages than, than where we're at, but we're still, because it's so synergistic, we're socializing that now. So we are closing our seed rounds and um, early talks for our A. You know, we're profitable. This this is to grow faster um, so that we can open up. We want to just maximize our and perfect our operations. I would attest that we're adding now, probably by March, and then look into opening another location um, in the Bay Area uh, sometime before this summer. Awesome. Awesome. But by the way, just, uh, this is, there's a lot of, a lot of companies who are on this podcast working on startups. And I think the, the phrase we're profitable is, uh, is not always one of them that, uh, comes up with a startup. So, so Gather Labs is already a profitable business, uh, just from an operational standpoint. Yes. Oh, we didn't, um, we didn't raise that much money in the beginning, as you can imagine, raising the money at that time in the pandemic was quite challenging. Um, we had the weirdest things happen. I mean, we had some investors we were talking to family members pass away and you know, they couldn't close their LPs. And we even had one of our early in, people we were in talks with pass. It was just like, okay. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was honestly, it was such a weird time. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it was so weird. Um, so, so we had only raised $400,000 and we had 1 million capex. So we, um, you know, took the money that we were using the revenue from when we were early working remotely and put that in with what we raised um, you know, opened it and then sort of built it one instrument at a time. We built the plane while flying it. Um, so we would, you know, take the revenue for a month and anything that's left, we would just buy another instrument or whatever it is that we had on our to-do list and order a priority to, to purchase. Um, so a lot of lab equipment, you know, every time you turn around, just pipettes, pipetters, 
uh, another extraction instrument, another computer, another more rapids, more medium complexity, whatever, like just, you know, more gloves, more sanitation, um, you know, help, uh, more regulatory, uh, you know, it's a highly regulated thing. It's always legal, legal dollars. Um, which is, so we just sort of like every month would just fast, 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 turn that around. You know, when people look at my PNL, they commend me for my CEO prowess and doing that. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, that, that was, that was weird, but we are profitable because we, we didn't raise that much money. So our, on our balance sheet, you know, um, we're profitable. So, so now we're just raising it to scale. Got it. Got it. So that, that's, that's super exciting. And again, I, I, I love the fact that you sort of started with very little, you're, you're building it piece by piece. Like these are big investments and is, are, these are all, you're, you're purchasing all the equipment or this is like, you've got, uh, like finance deals or these are like you're just buying equipment outright. Like how does that work? These are expensive uh, devices. We were just buying them um, in the beginning. We did not have um, the company history that would, that would qualify for a financing. Um, and that takes a while, you know, um, financing usually takes 60 days for, for things like that. And, you know, it's funny when, when I talk to investors, sometimes at events, like they'll say things like, Oh, you just get a loan tomorrow. No, you can because you're a high net worth individual with a relationship at a bank. I can't. Startups can't. I haven't made money on a W two in a decade. And then even if you have a high net worth as an entrepreneur, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Like you can't, like unless you're, you could be in a salaried position and make you know far less than an entrepreneur with a very high net worth, and you still can't qualify for things because you're just that's just how the system works. And then um, a startup that doesn't have two years. Of, of taxes, it's very hard to, to, to get a loan at a bank. And, you know, no, we just, we just bought them outright, which is good now because they're assets and not, you know, liabilities. We are doing a little bit of uh, equipment financing now because we, we do qualify for some of that. So it helps with the cash flow. Um, but that's very recent that we've been able to do that. And this is the first time I've ever been able to get loans for anything in my entire entrepreneurial career. Um, I would like to say a little bit about that. You know, it's, it's a misconception. Like I was saying that I see investors say to, say to young entrepreneurs a lot that they that oh, you should, you know, use financing. You, it's pretty hard to do that as an entrepreneur that, that's early stage. And that's exactly why seed funds and angel investors, you know, and friends and family rounds exist because you can't do that. Of course, that anyone would rather take on a little bit of debt than, than give up equity, but that, that exists because you can't do that. So you're going to pay the most expensive price, price in equity which we've learned is sometimes helpful because you, you need, you need assistance and other advisement in other ways, but that's, you know, sort of why, why that exists. Congrats. And again, it does, it does take, it, it takes a while to get that. And the great thing is, uh, you know, and I'm sure you're already seeing this, you know, once you, once you start to qualify for those as a business, and once you start to do good things with, uh, you know, with these lines of credit or with, with financing, it, it creates even more opportunities. So you kind of, Breaking through, you know, breaking through the initial deal is hard. Once you've done that, you know, you're rewarded. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's getting your first credit card or whatever. And, you know, you do a good thing with your credit card and you're rewarded by getting more credit card offers, right? And, you know, if you can do that in a smart way, it can really help to grow the business and all, hopefully help to make that investor capital go even further, which is exciting. Yes, having that as an option has helped um, an investor conversations because, you know, you're, you're not desperate and they know that that's just, they, you could even take both. And then that would even help you scale faster possibly, you know? 
Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that's I, I, it's it's a great you know great guidance. And again, you know, a lot of companies that are investing in you know investing in hardware, they don't have that option early on. And if you can kind of make that uh, uh, you know make that transition early on to be able to accelerate your growth, it can it can really help. So congrats, you know, congrats on that. And you know, while we're talking about sort of financial tools, we'd love just to have a sense of you know, how else do you manage this business? Are you guys, uh, you know, on Slack all the time? You're, you know, you're all under one roof. I know what kind of tools are you using to support the growth of the business? Because you are building a a tech business that looks like a retail business, right? Yes. And for investors that have been, that are scared of, of physical locations, because that just gives some of them the willies, uh, our, our rent is only uh, 2% of our revenue. So it really doesn't cost that much to, to, to do it in some cases. So we have had some investors become open to that once they looked at our financials and change how, how they think about that. Uh, because also um, there's a possibility that uh, that we could be some of the high, most highly profitable by square foot real estate in the United States. So that's a pretty pretty interesting story to talk about. I didn't even know what that was until, until one of our you know investors pointed out to me in our in our PNL, but. We do use Slack. Actually, uh, we use all the all the all the Google tools. Uh, we have our own uh, vertical laboratory information software, uh, which is what how the um, the consumers and the physicians can all be inside of a of a software that connects directly to to the instruments. So they have our own their own data room. Um, but yeah, it's just we usually just communicate like on on, on Slack. Slack and actually Telegram. I like Telegram's interface better than WhatsApp's for for simple chats from your phone. I just like their capabilities a lot better. Got it. And is that uh, actually that's a good because uh, you're you are a healthcare business, so uh, um, you know you're dealing with I'm guessing HIPAA compliance is part of you know part of what your you know data management, data safety. You talked about CLIA as well, which I mean, we could have an entire episode on. Uh, on CLIA, but uh, suffice it to say, getting a CLIA license takes a lot of work and it you know takes a lot of rigor and you've made it through those hurdles as well. Yes, we are a high complexity lab that's fully compliant. Uh, we have been inspected by the state and federal governments, um, received almost a perfect score. Uh, when you ask uh, culturally, when you ask everyone in my team members, uh, what's the most important thing at Gata Labs? Legal and compliance. The second most important thing, patient care. Um, <laughs> so, so we're, we're pretty, we're pretty, you know, we do have HIPAA compliant, uh, you know, data rooms and things like that. When I'm talking about chatting on telegram or something like it's just talking like uh, teams, just chatting. There's no patient data being shared that way. Uh, people always say, uh, you know, what's stopping anyone from doing this? Well, can't doctor's offices have the instruments? Well, not really. Um, it's a different type of licensing, uh, you know, pretty rigorous, you know, that, that you must uh, adhere to. Uh, I was I was used to it after working with uh, the the blockchain company. That's a highly regulated regulated industry, you know, with the SEC. So uh, I was I was used to, to that. And also, I don't know. I guess my brain just works in that way. Follow follow the directions exactly in the manual, you know. And doing the FDA things, I think for a year, uh, you know, working with FDA and the who and and you know what those processes look like and how an and or an or can make a difference in a document. Um, you know, I was just like, okay, militaristic, follow it to a T, gotcha. And then also we have, you know, people who, who work here that have far more experience than I do to, to double check in two different law firms. Yes, Clea. Yeah, no, and again, I think it's, you know, you're, you're right. It's one of these things where to some extent, I think that um, 
you know, most people just lack the both the kind of the precision, the detail orientation, as well as the patience and sort of, uh, you know, you can outlast a lot of these processes. But, you know, most most entrepreneurs would would give it up or they would focus on how do we make money sooner, not how do we build this, uh, you know, really sustainable, protectable business and having that kind of, you know, having that kind of certification to be able to do it all in house is what ultimately is is separate and gather from you know some of the other organizations out there you know kind of a, a side question as you're talking about this but so you know you went to uh you went to you know fashion institute any thoughts ever of going to law school because i can totally see like rachel mccrary esquire as sort of uh you know a, a, a side you know side hustle for you at some point <laughs> my personal is hermy amy uh who's just been with me for a long time as always like, you know, Miss McCurry, you should have been a lawyer. Uh, the only reason why I'm not pushing that is because the world needs you, you know, to change some things where we could all do a little better. Um, but I, I, I love that. My brain definitely works in that way. I, I love legal stuff. Um, I've spent a lot of time in my entrepreneurial career uh, under private, private securities, you know, just on the different ways of capital raising and different instruments and how that works and the yes and the no and the board and how you can do all of that. I love it. I teach it to other early stage entrepreneurs and um, have taught at some accelerators. Uh, so, so yeah, but you know, I think I have some things to do out there. I did actually go to UCLA and become an EMT last year. I should have mentioned that. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Was that just to understand how this works for a healthcare business or you know, what kind of what, what drew it drove you to do that? Yeah. Um, because you know, the, the, my baby little, um, biotech career and that has, you know, was learning science in a crash course, uh, while in Costa Rica, which we can talk about for about, um, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day, uh, in, in, in 2020, 2021, I uh, was learning everything about science and regulatory. So I really knew nothing about medical. So I just felt like that was just a, while EMT is like the lowest in the totem pole for medical, it was at least like a baseline and vocabulary and how that works. And also like, what if something were to happen to one of my employees in the lab? Like, you know, uh, just, ha just under having a basic knowledge of that really, really helps me. And then how does diagnostics sort of work all into that and, and work, work in the field? Um, you know, uh, I aced the reverse transcription polymers chain reaction section. Um, <laughs> the rest of it was very challenging. And one of the hardest things I've, I've ever, I've ever done um, was to learn something completely new. Uh, I commend the staff at UCLA uh, pre-hospital care, uh, you know, educational department because I was not easy. Um, you know, I was having such a hard time and they could, they could tell that I was smart. So they took me into a room and they were just like, they were like, I was just like, I can't get it in. Like, I can't, it's not like, what is wrong with me? I'm so used to acing anything that I try. I'm always the best at like everything because I just put my mind to it. And I was like, it's not going in. And so they took me into a room and they were like, what did you, okay, what did you study? And I was like, um, fashion design, art, Hindu philosophy. And they were like, okay, that's why most of these people here are pre-medical students, you know, who, who really focused on biology. And I, and I was like, nope, no, none of that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was learning to speak a different language and they taught that to me. They were like, well, first let's start with the vocabulary. Most people here already know this. So, so, you know, let's just, just kind of start there. You can't, you have to learn how to speak the language before you can, you know, do, do more with it. So they really broke it down and then they did, they helped me with things like, um, drawing the heart and like, you know, here's a vena cava, here's a pulmonary vein, this is the direction everything goes instead of, um, you know, just reading it wasn't working. Like I needed to kind of go through those exercises. 
So that was interesting, you know, but that was fun for my brain. Um, and I, and I did complete the, the course. Uh, I think they have like a 40% pass rate. And I, I, was one, I was one of them really proud of that. That was not easy. That was like hard. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And again, I think just even, you know, you know, you've, you've got just the, you've got the language as you said, but also you can have conversations with medical professionals or people who are working with them and you can, you know, you can bring that experience into it, or you can even just, you know, sometimes you just have to remind people, you know, who you are and to say, Hey, look, I've actually got this training. I understand how this piece of healthcare works. It creates this validation or this, uh, you know, sense that you're, you're the real deal that, you know, maybe, you know, you, you have to prove yourself one way or the other. If you can prove yourself through kind of this experience, sometimes it can help open doors. I, I would hope. Yeah. Well, working in the ambulance to get your hours, like seeing like, oh, okay, this diagnostic might be, might be helpful in this use case, learning the chain of command of who can do what in medical, because I'm a CEO who has, who has a medical team. So, so now I can kind of understand them a little bit better because I need to manage them. Right. So overall, it was just, you know, completely, completely, you know, helpful. Also, I spent a lot of time in Nosarco and they don't have, um, we don't have a state run, um, you know, state, state funded lifeguards here. So that's just a private organization with, with volunteers. So now knowing um, CPR, I can, I can help now and then. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that. Well, that's awesome. And that's, that's a good, uh, as we're kind of winding down here, you mentioned, you mentioned it once, you just mentioned it again, but uh, I know you're, you're, you're an LA entrepreneur, you're launching this awesome LA business, and you spend a lot of time, uh, you know, far away from LA, kind of recharging your batteries. So talk about uh, Costa Rica a little bit, like, how did you end up in Costa Rica the first time? And, and why do you keep on going back? Yeah, about um, the Eight years ago, I started coming here to do yoga uh, at the Bodhichay Resort and a few other places around town because I lived in, I actually lived in Bali and India a long time ago studying Hinduism. And it's just so far that just coming down here, it's just a five hour direct flight. So I could do, you know, yoga on the beach. And that's just something that I really need for my soul and actually my entrepreneurial journey. And all of that is a story for another day of how that ties into that, but it's made me a better leader and a better person and able to manage the stress and all of that. So I come to Costa Rica to do uh, yoga by the beach in a special little place called Playa Guiones. Uh, so, so Guanacaste is a blue zone. I'm sure you may have heard about those. Um, so if you need to recharge your batteries, that's an amazing place to do that. I actually built Gather Labs here. I lived here um, in season one of the pandemic. Uh, so uh, we were working remotely, built our manual processes. And then I worked with the, getting the, the PE ways and the four D's for diagnostics and things like that. Um, you know, the whole time I was here, there are many people in this town that, that even, that even know that. Um, and you know, when they see me, they say, welcome home, how's gather labs? Because they knew that it was birth here. Um, and, uh, it was the weirdest thing too. I was like, the, I arrived here Friday night late. And then on Saturday morning, I sat at this communal table know anything about I'm sorry, Costa Rica. It's kind of like it takes three hours on a dirt road from the airport and it's just really in, in there. and some I heard the person next to me bragging that a company that they invested in was invited to pitch to YC. And I was like, us too. <laughs> and he was like, what? And he, we both looked at each other like normally people are talking about like, did you see that monkey? What yoga class are you going to? You know, and it was just like this crazy like sort of like 
you know, serendipitous moment where we found for entrepreneurship. But um, yeah. That's well, that's yeah. awesome. I think that's uh, you know you again you you you're it's great that you're there recharging and then yet you know as you're saying you can also sometimes you know never escape the fact that you're doing great stuff and you're going to bump into people that are you know also trying to innovate and entrepreneurship is you know it's a it's a community that is tightly connected across the country around the world and and you find those sorts of connections I think yeah right your intuition and and the magical. You'll find you'll find your tribe no matter where you are. What can you know? What can the LA listeners you know? What can they do? Uh, we want them to come check out Gather the next time they're doing a test. But how can people engage with you? Whether it's uh, you know online in person, what do you ask? Yeah, we're at uh, GatherLabs.com or GatherLabs on Instagram. I'm NYC Bella on Instagram, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Just just message us anywhere and, and we'll get back to you. Gather Labs is at 218 South Robertson Boulevard in Beverly Hills, uh, which is close to Wilshire. Stop on in. Don't be shy. Ask us anything uh, lab related or not. We're here to we're here to chat and join in community. Awesome. No, I, I think uh, I, I'm excited to get back in there and see how things are evolving. So that's on my on my list for early in 2023. But Rachel, thank you so much for this. And thank you everyone for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. Um, Rachel just gave you all of the information about how you can connect and engage with Gather uh, for We Are LA Tech. Uh, go to the We Are LA Tech Facebook group at wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Or check us out on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you soon. And again, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave. We look forward to seeing you next year. Awesome. You too. Thank you. Hi, this is Rachel McQuarrie, the founder of Gather Labs. Gather Labs is a modernized diagnostic experience focused on same-day results for any lab, which improves patient care. I'm based in Beverly Hills, and you're listening to BRLA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.